Hi, and welcome to another episode of Lead Like You Give a Damn, where I speak with leaders and leadership experts who have cracked the code on leading with authenticity, purpose, and effectiveness. I'm your host, Dave McKeown, and my guest today is Bev Atfield. Bev is the principal of workplace science at Jostle. She's a regular writer for the Jostle blog and the host of the People at Work podcast and the Conversations at Work dialogue series. Listen in as we talk about why it's time to stop talking about engagement in the workplace and to start talking about enablement instead. We also talk about how a human-centered approach to leadership is the key to building a positive culture and why we should invest in our people no matter if they're going to leave or not. As always, make sure you're subscribed to get notified of each episode as it comes out. Let me know if you have any questions or comments and as always, please enjoy the show. Well, hey, Bev, how are you? I am super excited to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, Dave. Thanks. It's really awesome to be here. I'm delighted that we've got another chance to have a conversation since you were recently on my podcast, and that was an incredible conversation. So lovely to be on the other side of the mic this time. Yeah, it's fun to be able to do the return leg, and now I get to pick your brain of all of the (laughs) wonderful insights that you have there. I know that you're heavily involved in a lot of thinking about particularly around smart workplace practices. And I'd love for you to sort of start there and share with us from your perspective what some of those practices are that really enable people to work in supportive, collaborative environments. Yeah, that's an interesting question and actually quite topical. I've been thinking quite a lot about enablement lately, and I think it comes on the heels of being really tired of leaders and workplaces trying to engage employees. I think we've pretty well proven that engagement isn't working. Those of us who read the reports from Gallup every year, we're pretty tired of seeing that needle not hardly moving. And, uh, you know, I think it's like, you know, two thirds of people are not engaged with their work. So I guess what I've been thinking about is why would we keep chasing the same thing when maybe we should be focusing on something else? And there's something else that actually drives people to come to work, give them their full effort, bring their full selves and be thoroughly fulfilled in the process. And I think it requires us to have a change of perspective about what it is that people need during their workday. And it really comes down to this thing called enablement. Mm -hmm. And really enablement is just providing the tools, the resources, the people, and the support for employees to get on and do their jobs and have the autonomy to do that in their work environment. And I think if there was ever a time for us to put enablement to the test, I think the last you know 18 months to 20 months of shifting our attitude about work is the perfect time, right? So I feel like we're just at this point where if we're not prepared to make a change now, we really are losing the potential to empower our people and to you know get the most out of our work environments, quite mm. honestly. So I think it's just... And it's not just enablement on its own. Enablement is really what kicks off the flywheel 
of a successful employee, if you will. So Mm. when you're enabling people, you are really creating engaged employees. So the irony is if we focus on enablement, we actually get enablement and engagement Mm. out of people. And then if you layer on celebration and recognition, which is helping people feel valued and recognized and that they are part of something, that further compounds this momentum that we get around people feeling that they're successful. And at Jostle, we think about this as a flywheel effect of success. And we've built our product, which is an employee success platform to facilitate that success. But my job is also to understand what are the levers in leaders and workplaces and employees themselves that actually help us get onto that flywheel and keep it moving. So, you know, it's really great timing that you asked this question. And I'm particularly interested in getting us out of engagement and into enablement. What is it that we got so just catastrophically wrong about engagement over the years? Because, I mean, you're right. I can only imagine what it's like working at gallop year over year going through the same (laughs) process and basically going nope nothing's changed okay excellent well we'll just mark that down (laughs) as another year where folks are not engaged focusing the wrong things do we not do it why is it that we just haven't been able to crack that yeah there's probably a few things i think we've spent a lot of time wanting our employees to really like being in their workplace and trying to measure how much they like being in their workplace how Mm. satisfied they are with their work so i think to some extent we've been focusing on the wrong things and we've Mm. been throwing money and resources at perks and gimmicks and cool things in workplaces that we thought would attract and retain and engage people, Mm. which as we've seen with the pandemic, when we don't have offices anymore, those companies and cultures that are thriving are actually the ones that never thought that's what you should use to attract and retain Mm. and engage your people. And then I think it's just measuring the wrong thing. It's being stuck on this ideal that an engaged employee equals a more productive employee equals a more profitable business. And I think there's some data that would support that theory, but there are far too many variables for us Mm. to, you know, as I wrote in a blog article recently, like we can't singularly give the success to engagement for, you know, greater productivity and and greater enjoyment and greater profit for organizations. There's too many other things going on for us to say, well, that's because we've got engaged employees. Mm. And so as we shift our thinking towards enablement, then we're moving away, if I get this right, from ensuring that folks feel happy and that, you know, that they enjoy those perks more towards this sense of, I actually can do my job. I can do it easily. I can succeed. Maybe I mean simply more so there. I can succeed. I have autonomy. It's really about ensuring that there are fewer roadblocks to what our employees need to get done on a daily basis. Would that be right? Yeah, absolutely spot on. And I think if you step one layer down, what sits at the heart of all of that is a more human-centered approach to creating and conducting business. Hmm. And when we keep people at the center of our thinking, then we're automatically thinking about individual needs, preferences, ways of working, removing barriers for people, paving the way for clarity rather than complication at work, removing ego, removing politics. As soon as we start thinking about employees as humans that have got a whole bunch of stuff going on outside of their work environment and that work is part of their life, not the other way around. Mm. I think we get 
gain a different level of clarity about what work needs to look like. And that's why enablement becomes so important because it's the actual doing of it. Whereas the engagement piece is, it's an outcome of doing Mm. all sorts of things, right? So enablement is far more closely connected to profit than engagement ever will be because it's the actions that you take or do not take. Right. I mean, I get the sense that this is a whole organization shift that needs to happen towards enablement. Is it the case that there are pockets of enablement in an organization, or is it something that really does have to stop at, start at the, at the top and kind of infiltrate its way throughout the organization? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think you could absolutely have business units that are more enabled than others. And I think it's okay to start small and build it out in the organization. But I think ultimately, if you want to be operating to the best of your capacity and really extracting the most potential out of your people and your business, mm. then as a like architecturally in an organization, enablement needs to be hardwired into everything you do from how leaders show up to how you communicate to how you write your policies to how you work together. Mm. So I think it can start organically, but I think for it to be successful, it needs to be completely endorsed and embraced in every level of the organization. I'm just taking the perspective of, you know, a lot of folks that listen into this show are leaders in their organization looking to make a change or to improve how they show up for their team, but they might not necessarily have the pool or the sway to enact a wholesale cultural transformation in an organization. And so I guess I'm just thinking from that perspective, if I'm that leader and I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, I definitely want to ensure that I'm enabling my team. Like, where can you start on an individual basis like that? Yeah. So ultimately, I think businesses get distilled down into human relationships more broadly, get distilled down into one-on-one relationships at the most extreme level, right? So, and even beyond that, it's the individual leader that you eventually arrive at. And I Mm. think the biggest change that an individual leader can make without needing to think that they have to change the whole ecosystem that they operate in is reflecting on their own behaviors, communication style, things that they do that might be disenabling for their people. I think it starts with self-awareness as leaders Mm. and really thinking about small things that you might do, like micromanaging your people. Mm. Like That is not enabling people to go off and do what it is they do. Showing up with hubris or bravado and pretending to always have all the answers or being a know-it-all as a leader, Mm. that doesn't actually help those around you feel like they can have a voice and bring new ideas to you or be interested in potentially coming up with other ideas creatively together because you are basically saying that you've got all the answers. So those are just two examples of things that happen all the time in teams and I think they are two things that really crush people's initiative and spirit and feeling like they're equipped and trusted and enabled to get on with what they do. Yeah. I love that notion of just think about what behaviors you are exhibiting that are disenabling. I think just that awareness (laughs) in and of itself is fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, think about the ripple effect, right? Like if you just change one thing about yourself, what does that do for your team? Like, what does that open up for your team's development? And Mm. ironically, it opens you up to grow and for you to have freedom and for you to feel that you are being supportive and 
generous of spirit with your team, right? So there's always something you get back for it. So even if you're the most selfish person, you know, you don't want to necessarily do things in service of others. There's no altruistic act, right? So just do the work on yourself first and you are going to benefit others, but you'll benefit yourself too. Right. You know, it's interesting because those two things that you mentioned, micromanaging and showing up with hubris or bravado or know-it-all, although it's easy to say those things and say they're probably negative behaviors, the likelihood is that they're rooted in something positive, for lack of a better word, in that for a lot of leaders, it's the belief that, hey, we have just got to keep moving forward. The world is constantly changing. And so I can help us get to a good place by just showing up, telling you what to do or just having a little bit too much of a firm control on the output lest we go off the rails. You know, I think so often those negative behaviors can actually come from a good place and it can be difficult for leaders to look at that and realize, oh, okay, what I'm doing, what I'm exhibiting isn't helpful. What sort of self-reflective practices can leaders go through to really evaluate whether how they show up is enabling or disenabling? Any, Any advice around that? Yeah, I have some thoughts on that. Uh, You know, I think observing your own actions and words Mm. and behaviors and the impact that they have on people, you don't have to go very far to see when you are having either a negative or a positive impact on somebody. It's there in front of you if you're prepared to look for it. And I think asking your team for feedback is another critical way to Mm. understand and reflect on how you're showing up because Mm -hmm. we all have biases about our own behaviors or beliefs that we hold about how we are or are not as a leader. And sometimes those biases or beliefs are not accurate, right? Mm. We need to get input from others to help us round out what reality actually looks like. And Mm. even though you may have the best of intentions, and I think that you're right, some of those actions like micromanaging, showing up with you know, command and control or know-it-all type tendencies. Yes, it might be to move the people and the business forward and it's very task or action oriented sometimes. Mm. It still doesn't make people feel good about dealing with you, right? Mm. So I would say that, yes, maybe sometimes there's a positive reason behind it, but oftentimes it's because people have a big ego, they're controlling because they're vulnerable, because they feel threatened by those around them. They hold people back because they don't want to let that person thrive and basically move beyond the team that they're on. Mm. So they hold people back because it doesn't serve them to have that person be promoted. You know, those things happen all the time. And I think it's just going to take a shift in us as individual leaders to be thinking about more than self. Mm-hmm. It's more than how we are feeling in the moment. It's more than how we need to behave. It's what do other people around us need us to do in order to help them be better and stronger? And and yes, if that means that they're going to excel and grow and learn and move on, great. Like then you've done your job as a leader. Like if mm. you can help someone get promoted or get to the next phase in their career, which might mean a promotion in a new company or a new job, fabulous. Like you've mm-hmm. done your job as a leader, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, just it's fascinating how much growth and development in the world of leadership comes down to being able to understand and then quiet the ego that you have and to not wrap up the narrative that you tell yourself about your success based around your ability to come in and scream or shout or jostle. Sorry to use that word. You're, 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 <laughs> um, uh, jostle for position or politicking and, and all of that, that actually those leaders who truly make a long-term impact, those leaders who you can look to and go, hey, that's an exemplar, are the ones that are more concerned about ensuring that the people underneath them grow and develop and stretch and learn. And, you know, it's just fascinating to watch the moment for leaders who make the transition when that light bulb goes on and they begin to grow and evolve away from that protective, reactive form of leadership where it's just, you know, I got to keep everything close to my chest. I can't trust anybody. Such an incredible journey to watch folks go on. And I just wish more people would be a aware of that journey and how it will bode such greater things for them. Absolutely. And again, it comes back to like, there is something that you get out of someone else succeeding. Mm -hmm. And so here's an example. I was chatting to one of our team leads at Jostle recently, and he had seen a bit of turnover in his team. And he was really sad and frustrated about the fact that some of the people that had left were younger people that he had really spent a lot of time mentoring and coaching and really been a big contributor to their growth and their development. So he Mm. was understandably sad that they had decided to leave, but he had enabled them in the time that they were with Jostle to achieve great things and then go on to achieve even greater things. And so he said, but I'm so frustrated that I spent all this time and people leave. And I said to him, and these are not not my phrase, but it's a phrase that I've heard and I have paraphrased it to be something like, you know, what if I invest in people and they leave? And the counter to that is, what if you don't invest in them and Mm -hmm. they stay? Mm -hmm. Right. So like, what does it do if you, like, what happens if you just choose not to invest in people? Think about what that scenario looks like in your team and your business when you're not investing in people, you're not enabling them, you're not encouraging them to grow. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an important like shift in our attitude that we have to make as leaders around our willingness to actually fully enable every person on our team in the Mm -hmm. way that they want to be enabled. And that's Mm -hmm. a key distinction there. It's what does the individual need to be enabled? Mm -hmm. And when you unlock that for them and with them, you set the course for a much richer journey for the both of you, as well as the health and the flourishing of the organization that you're part of. And yes, the outcome of that is sometimes going to be that that person will go on to do other things. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, you've succeeded as a leader if that happens. Yeah, very much so. You know, the reality is that change and turnover is just always going to be there. It doesn't matter what you do. And so there's absolute power and almost it's the right thing to do to develop your people in that setting, knowing that anything could happen. It's funny. I wonder, it's one of those few places of relationships that we have in our life where we've got to be much more prepared for the fact that those relationships in the current setting may not last beyond the current setting forever. You know, it's just interesting Mm -hmm. as you're talking in the way through, it's like if we invest in our friendships and in our family and we invest in our significant other and our partner, you can be pretty guaranteed that those folks will stick around for quite a while because they see the value in that happening. But it's almost like this selfless thing to invest in your people. You're like, you hope they'll stick around because then they'll add value to the organization, but there's just no guarantee that that's going to happen. Yeah, most definitely. And especially in today's climate and, you know, there is a lot of talk and a lot of analysis and study around the degree to which turnover is happening 
in mm. organizations. I mean, turnover has happened before the pandemic, for sure. There have definitely been increases in the number of people moving around and people calibrating what they actually want from work, which is driving people to look for different kinds of environments to be part of. So I do think that the great resignation is real. I think what we need to be careful of is focusing on the wrong thing. So I don't think it's as much of people leaving toxic environments than actually reframing what is important to them and where can they find that in an organization. And that mm. ultimately is brings us back to the whole enablement topic, right? Mm. Because mm-hmm. people are going to look for those places where they can go and be the best person they can be and have the best opportunity to learn and where they can have the greatest impact with a purpose that they can align themselves with. Right. It's interesting. I've had this conversation with a couple of folks recently and (laughs) to which I'm like, that all makes sense. But are there enough organizations out there that do that? Or are we just going to have this mass (laughs) resignation? People are going to go find somewhere else and go, this isn't quite what I wanted. And, you know, then they just get stuck in a slightly, you know, another role that was kind of just familiar to the one that they were in before, you know, like, sure. Surely, if there were that many organizations doing the stuff that all of these folks that are resigning are looking for, then they would be filled already. Yeah, I think you make a good point. And I think you're right. I don't think that there are enough organizations yet Mm. that can absorb and accommodate this new desire of employees as they've had their eyes open through the pandemic. Mm. I think what that does is it provides us with an opportunity as organizations to push the envelope of what we believe to be the most minimum viable environment Mm -hmm. in which people can be happy and healthy and successful. And I think what is hopefully going to happen is that there is this momentous shift of pressure on organizations to change whether they like it or not. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's long overdue. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that there are a couple of waves that are all conspiring at the same time to hopefully make a big, significant shift in how organizations turn up. You know, we're talking about folks feeling enabled and feeling valuable in their roles and feeling psychologically safe in what they're doing. I think there's also massive consumer pressure for organizations to ensure that their supply chains are adopting similar principles that we're taking note of the environmental impact mm-hmm. on, on our activities. And and hopefully that'll give us an an impetus in in industry to make some of those shifts that need to happen for people that work there and our species as a whole. I want to just change tack a little bit. You know, we've talked a lot about what an individual leader can do to enable the folks that work for them. I think that's great. I do think that there are still folks for whom they haven't quite got to that point where they're going to join the great resignation, but maybe they are working under a leader who is maybe a little disenabling. What do you do in that situation? If you just feel like you're not able to thrive there, are there conversations that can be had? Are there ways to change that? Or have you got to sort of accept your fate and and maybe go look for something elsewhere? Yeah, I think if there was ever a time where employees had a voice, it's now. Mm. And I think that as much as there is responsibility on individual leaders to be reflective and to make changes within themselves, and by extension, organizations have the same responsibility, 
flexibility. I think employees and people in work environments have an opportunity that they've never really had before mm. to not only be coached and mentored, but to actually find information and present that to their organization as a case for why things need to change. And this is not only about feeling enabled, it's about those deeper topics of feeling like you belong, feeling respected, feeling trusted. I think employees have got lots of resources available to them, maybe not within their own organizations, because a lot of people are in workplaces where they feel they don't have a voice or they don't feel included or they don't feel like they belong. I think employees have got two choices. You either determine how you can influence and change your immediate environment, or you find an environment that you think is more suited to mm -hmm. how you want to be. Mm -hmm. Like Ultimately, I think that's the only two choices. I think there are a lot of people who are very unhappy and very unfulfilled in their work. I think that, you know, the number of people who have, you know, unicorns and rainbows every day in their workday is quite small. Right. <laughs> but that doesn't mean we should just accept right. as employees, right? Right. I think there's a tremendous opportunity for employees to take on the power and the, the mantle of change right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. I love those two choices because I think that applies to any situation you're in that you don't like or you don't enjoy or you want to be different. It's like, you've got two choices. You either try to change that or you accept that you can't change it and you go, well, that's not worth it. So it's okay. The funny thing is there's actually a secret third option that most people take, which is I'm going to stick in this situation and I'm just going to complain about it every day rather than like <laughs> try to do anything about it. And, and so, you know, just trying to encourage folks to say, look, you can change this situation. So either decide that it's worth the effort to change it or you decide it's not worth it, in which case you have made that choice to be in it. So you've got to allow some of those internal stories that you tell yourself about how bad it is to just kind of, you know, you've got to just accept it, that that's the choice that you made. Sorry, yeah, 100%. I also acknowledge, of course, that it's not that easy for someone who may have responsibilities and financial burden, family obligations, et cetera, to just say, oh, well, I'm just leaving. And I'll, right. even if I don't have a job, I'm leaving this place because it doesn't meet my demands or I'm not happy here. Or right. like, it's not that easy in practice. I completely admit that. However, I would say that with so many resources out there and so many great things like podcasts and books and people who are visibly talking about these workplace topics, that every person who is unhappy in their job can find some sort of resource to help them navigate through why they're feeling unhappy and what they can actually do about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, it's super easy to be glib about that. And obviously there are circumstances for which it is just not easy to do that. And, and we do have to recognize that. Absolutely. What I try to do is to encourage folks to realize what they truly can control. Because often when we get to that point where we are complaining about the circumstance that we're in, we have done ourselves a disservice by reducing the circle that we believe that we can control down to nothing. Whereas if you can begin to push against the boundaries, you realize you, there's actually a little bit more it can control that you maybe didn't already think that you had. So tell us a little bit then, just as we're starting to wrap up, Bev, how does Jostle help to create the sorts of cultures that we've been talking about today? The enabled culture where folks feel at home, where they're productive. What is it that you do at Jostle to help that? Yeah. So thanks for asking that question. And, you know, we're constantly pushing ourselves to find ways to really not only walk the talk with enablement, but in thinking about how we design our technology. And so we, we're a tech company and our 
our product is an employee success platform. And Mm. really what the primary strategy behind why we've designed the platform the way we have is to connect people across the business, because we think that connection is a big part of enablement, right? Mm. So connected people know who to go to, they know why they're there, they know where to find information. So our platform has all sorts of capabilities that facilitate connection primarily. And then we really look at how do you create clarity for people and how do you bring celebration and joy into people's workday? Mm. And we do that with uh, things like, and I won't get into the weeds with you know what the platform actually looks like, but we have ways of recognizing people visibly in organizations. So we mm. have our, one of our primary views is a news view, and that's where people can celebrate things, talk about news that's you know important to people across the business. It's where CEOs can have their voice. It's where different areas of domain interest can be manifested. So we've really built something that is really the go-to place for people to feel like they are connected into something and they understand how their contribution impacts others. And what that looks like in practice is, and I mean, we're heavy users of our own product. We, you know, it's been something that's been our lifeline as we ourselves moved to become a fully remote company and now are a hybrid company. Mm. It's like that the software actually disappears into the background. What you have is this incredible tool that just helps you get on with the things you need to do during your day so that you can focus on the more important parts of being together at work. And that's the relational side of things. How do you build relationships? How do you have fun together? How do you have provide meaning into your day with people? And get rid of like the complication of the things that clutter and create noise for people. So no, that's really what we believe is needed in organizations. And you know, I encourage if anyone is interested in learning more, they can absolutely reach out to me. I'm happy to give them a, a preview or, or a, a demo of what the platform does. But it really is about acknowledging the role of technology in moving us from transacting to relating to mm. people at work. And that is really the, the crux of enablement. And I, I love that. The celebration and joy, you've said a couple of times, and gosh, don't we need more of that in our workplaces? And, and, and I just love the fact that, you know, <laughs> so many tech platforms that are placed upon our teams in workplaces are, you know, there to exert more control and exact more productivity. And Jostle's just completely not like that at all. It's there to help create a healthy, happier, enabled world workforce and a ton of really good resources. Bev, you do a lot of great work in in making sure that there's information that's there. What's the best place for folks to go find out more about Jocelyn and about you and your thoughts? Yeah. So you can reach us at uh, jostle.me is our website. Uh, We also have a really great blog that is a place where we talk about and share a lot of information and research. So blog.jostle.me. And then a lot of my body of work is around research and conversation and just, you know, instigating debate around what is actually driving happiness and enablement for people at work. And I do that through our own podcast, which is called People at Work. We have a dialogue series, which is called Conversations at Work. And, you know, it's just really part of my role is not only to foster Jostle's own internal employee enablement practices, but I spend a lot of my time trying to understand how do we actually as leaders change the way we work and, you know, what are the levers that we can actually play with to be pushing ourselves to exceed the expectations that employees have in their workday. And, Mm. 
you know, I think that's just something that I'm so grateful for because I feel like I'm not only at the forefront of understanding the trends and the change that's happening at work, but myself as an individual leader, I feel like I have the potential to have impact, which, you know, I think when it comes down to it as individual leaders, we've got to try and have as much impact as we can. If we are already thinking about these things, we then, the next step we have to take is, well, what can I do with my passion and my conviction to actually move us to a better way of working together? Hmm. Well, thank you so much for being here, Bev, for sharing your thoughts and your perspectives and your expertise. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you have a wonderful day and a great rest of your week. Excellent. I have too. I hope that uh, we will have another opportunity to continue the conversation. And uh, thanks for listening. And thanks for asking uh, some really interesting explorative questions. And I look forward to the next time. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Bev. Take it easy. Bye. Thanks for listening to Lead Like You Give a Damn. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about me, the show, or the work that I do, you can go to davemckeown.com and I'll see you next time.